Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 89. Thanks for joining me. Today we are speaking with Adam, Adam Makota, from our friends at Healthmark. Adam is going to talk to us today about training in sterile processing and how we can go about training sterile processing technicians more effectively. So some great conversation. Stick around for that. But before we talk to Adam, let's get into... What's on my mind? So today on What's on My Mind, I want to discuss a question that I get frequently. If you didn't know, part of my job as an educator is to answer questions from folks who submit their clinical questions on the HSPA website. Now, usually a question will come in that is clinical in nature and the education team will respond. Now, hear me out. No question is stupid. No question is silly. Don't ever be afraid to ask a question. And that's because a lot of times questions may seem to be relatively simple, maybe a no-brainer, But it's not a matter of knowing the correct answer, but more it's knowing the why behind the answer or even the resource for which the answer came from, right? Knowing the resource behind the answer sometimes is just as important because it's needed to justify the answer or the question. Now, I'm fortunate enough to work at HSPA and I have resources like the AMI documents and standards along with guidelines from AORN. Now, if it is at all possible, I recommend, I highly recommend, that everyone in sterile processing have these documents at their disposal. And that's because 90% of the questions that I get can usually be found in these resources. Now, you should know by now that the AMI standards focus a lot on sterile processing And that is usually my go-to resource when I have questions, but sometimes the question involves other folks like the operating room. So when I get questions, you know, with the operating room, that's when I use the AORN guidelines in conjunction with Amy because they're very helpful and just might uh, be what I need that really gets their attention. And what's great about the AORN guidelines and Amy standards is those documents a lot of times are aligned. So it's kind of hard to dispute the evidence when you bring that information forward. Now, uh, with all that said, here's a disclaimer. Unfortunately, facilities have the final say in how they are going to practice. So it's not up to me. It's not up to you sometimes, right? Sometimes, you know, the best that you can do is just present the information or present the evidence, make your case, and then sometimes right or wrong, it's up to the decision makers in the facility, right? So 
The question I have for you today is a question that I receive, uh, and it's, should the scrub person wipe down their instrumentation during the procedure? So they're in the procedure, doing a case, as the case progresses, should they actively be wiping or let's say cleaning their instruments? Now, we don't like to use the word cleaning because cleaning sometimes involves chemicals. They're not using chemicals, right? So when I say cleaning, they're not using a chemicals. I'm talking more about removing bio burden with uh, a sponge that's radiopaque and sterile water. That's what I'm talking about when I say cleaning in the operating room. So again, the question is, should the scrub person wipe down their instrumentation during the procedure? Now, again, to most of us, this may be a no brainer, right? But do you have the supporting resources to convince someone in the operating room or that scrub person that this is a recommended practice and it's something they should actively be doing. All right, so there's our question. And one of the first things that I like to do when I get a question like this is to look in the AMI standards. Again, that's my go-to, right, for sterile processing. And so are there any standards that address this specific situation in the AMI standards? Just so happens that I did some pre-work and I have that information. So as we look in ST79, right, and this is the 2017, or ST79 2020 with the uh, amendments, I'm gonna look in section number six, which is handling, collection, and transport of contaminated items. From there, I'm gonna look under 6.3, which is point of use, care, and handling of contaminated reusable items. And then under section 6.3.1, we have handling of instruments during surgical procedures. Now it reads, throughout the surgical or invasive procedure, A, instruments should be wiped as needed with sterile moistened surgical sponge to remove gross soil and, and this is under B, cannulated instruments or instruments with lumens should be irrigated with sterile water as needed without creating aerosols. Okay, and then it also goes into the rationale, which is also important. And the rationale states that blood and other body fluids and saline are highly corrosive and can cause pitting of instruments. If left to dry, they can be difficult to remove and can prevent sterilization. Cannulated instruments or instruments with lumens can be obstructed with organic material Irrigating these instruments with sterile water helps remove residue. Okay, pretty sound information and it really uh, answers our question and that's the Amy ST79. So again, Amy provides us with a pretty clear answer of what should happen. Now, as I said earlier, we're dealing with another department, right? So we're dealing with the operating room and so Anytime I'm dealing with another department, let's say it's even with like flexible endoscopes and you're dealing with GI nurses, sometimes I'll reference SGNA in combination with AORN, in combination with Amy as my base. So, you know, I always try to include uh, references from that uh, other department. So here again, we're dealing with the operating room. So let's get on their level. Let's see if there is any information from AORN. So doing some of my research in the 
instrument cleaning guide in the AORN guidelines, which just happens to be section six, point of use treatment. Under 6.1.1, it states, during the procedure, remove gross soil from instrument surfaces with a sterile radiopaque surgical sponge moistened with sterile water. Do not use saline to wipe the instrument surfaces. And then it goes on to give their rationale, which says soil, which includes blood and body fluids, and the sodium chloride and saline are damaging to instrument surfaces because they can cause corrosion, rusting, and pitting. These materials, especially when dry, can be difficult to remove from surfaces during the cleaning and decontamination process, reducing the efficacy of the subsequent sterilization process. Dry blood represents a significant challenge to cleaning surgical instruments. So again, AORN is aligning with Amy, but it also adds a few more things in it. It says, again, moistened radiopaque sterile sponge or surgical sponge moistened with that sterile water, right? So it just kind of adds a little bit information uh, to make your case. And it's really, it's really good when AORN and Amy, they kind of align because it just makes your case a little bit stronger. Now, another thing I like to do uh, is to Google my question to see if there are any other resources out there that I can use. But caution, when you start Googling things, make sure your information and your sources are credible. There are some sources that just aren't credible, like going on to uh, social media sites and saying, hey, how do you do this? And somebody answers your question, but they don't give you any real good citations or where they got their information. It's just information that they know, which is great. And it's great that you know the answer. But again, we're trying to build a case for changing practice. You, you want a resource. You want to know where that resource came from and is it credible? So I went ahead and Googled and in my Google search, the search resulted in a frequently asked question from AORN. And so again, it's the a clinical frequently asked question from AORN. The question is, should the scrub person wipe instruments with sterile water during the surgical procedure? During the procedure, the scrub person should remove gross soil from the instrument by wiping the surface with a sterile surgical sponge moistened with sterile water. Saline should not be used to wipe the instrument surface. Blood, organic material, debris, and saline are highly corrosive to instrument surfaces and can cause corrosion, rusting pitting, when allowed to dry on the surface. These materials can be difficult to remove from all surfaces during the cleaning of decontamination process, again reducing that effect. So, essentially what was in the guideline earlier. And then it says periodically during the procedure, the scrub person should use sterile water to irrigate instruments with lumens. Irrigating instrument lumens periodically throughout the procedure removes gross soil and may reduce the risk of biofilm formation. Biofilm can form on many surfaces, but is particularly problematic when it forms in lumens because it is difficult to see and remove. Well, that is a great answer. Just what we were looking for, right? And it kind of aligns with everything else we've found so far. But remember when I said you need to make sure your resource is credible? Well, this is an ARN resource, so it is a credible resource. 
But here's the problem. If you review the resource document, we see that the answer cited is an old AMI ST79 document, and it's from 2013. Remember, you, we use the 2017 and the 2020 amendment document. And then it also cites an older AORN guideline. But the good news is that we have already verified this information with those other two updated resources. So the information is still valid and we can still use it. So all of that, all of that to say that this is a good practice, right? The scrub person should continually wipe instrumentations, keeping them as clean as possible during the procedure. Now, again, notice I didn't say completely clean. I didn't say they have to completely keep the instruments free of blood and body fluid. And that is for another episode. It's a whole nother ball of wax. But, you know, we have some good resources, so make sure that you have those resources, the AMI documents, the AORN guidelines, all that information can help you, and in some cases, justify your position on different clinical practices. So with that, that is going to do it for this episode of What's On My Mind. Adam Okoda is our guest today. Adam has 16 years of experience in sterile processing and is passionate about helping improve the quality of patient care by giving sterile processing technicians greater access to education and information. He has worked as a case cart builder, sterile processing tech one, two, and three, lead technician, tracking system analysis, supervisor of both sterile processing and high-level disinfection, manager, and now educator. Adam is the owner of Sterile Education, the world's first mobile application dedicated to sterile processing education, and a former clinical manager at Beyond Clean. He has published articles for HSPA, Process Magazine, serves as the current president for the Central California chapter of HSPA, and is a voting member of the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, AMI. Adam is currently a clinical education specialist at Healthmark Industries, where he works on webinars and hybrid events, educational videos, and the Ask the Educator podcast with Kevin Anderson. Well, Adam, thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah, happy to be here. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I have extensive background in SPD. Um, I got started in my... Uh, well, after college, I moved back in with my parents because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And <laughs> that happened for a few years. My dad uh, brought home a flyer for a sterile processing class, which was actually taught by Sharon Rojo, who oh. now work with at Healthmark. And uh, that was his subtle way of like saying, get out. And so <laughs> uh, I, I took the class and, uh, you know, 17 years later, I'm still in sterile, pro sterile processing. So it's been, you know, I worked as a frontline tech for about nine years, lead supervisor, manager, educator now. Um, so it's been a ride, um, but that's kind of my background in sterile processing. Great. So you recently presented at the HSPA conference on the topic, why are we training our technicians wrong? In what areas do you feel there can be some improvement when we talk about training? You know, I think it's, um, I think our training is not bad, but I think it's not based on 
the way that human beings actually learn behaviors. So, um, you know, one thing that I, I talked about in the, in the uh, seminar <laughs> was the memory and connections and how we actually make a memory um, and how our emotions are strongly tied in. And I don't think we enforce the why behind everything that we do enough. We teach them the skills, but when they're in crunch time and they get that time pressure from the OR, it's a lot harder to do all of those skills together. It's a lot easier for them to be like, ooh, I need to go fast and then to skip a step. Yeah. And that's what I see a lot from, from my initial training and a lot of people that I worked with in the past. And then also from being a manager and actually an educator trying to teach people how to do it. I see a lot of that where it just becomes easier to skip a step because they just don't understand the reason why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So in your presentation, you gave an example about a high school student who was an up and coming basketball player. Can you tell us a little bit about his story? Yeah, that was a story that I was told when I started at Children's Hospital. And uh, it was um, a basketball player. He was about 16 um, and he had a full ride scholarship to UCLA. It was a very uh, like a prodigy. It's a very good basketball school. <laughs> he had uh, dreams of being in the NBA. He would have been the first person in his family to actually go to college. And his family's really counting on him to kind of be a light for their future, like re- really counting on him. And he came in for a routine knee procedure, had some bone chips, something like that. And uh, had a shaver used on him. And they did a go back and identify the shaver had some problems with, you know, afterward. Uh, he did develop an infection in his knee and uh-huh. ended up after several procedures, he ended up getting an above the knee amputation. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it really changed the trajectory of his whole life. And they told me that story when I started, I think, to impart the importance of the shaver and how important it is to clean it. Um, and then over time, I've learned like how complex that device is, how many different areas can go wrong in a shaver. So um, it was just one of those things that like really reinforced to me why it's so important what we do. Yeah. Make that personal connection. Yes, definitely. So you have some interesting data that suggests that we might want to spend some more time and resources on training and education. Can you talk about some of that information? Yeah. So I started at um, at my first job as an educator. I kind of wanted to know the lay of the land. So I did a survey of the employees and I was actually over three different facilities as the educator. Um, so I just kind of pulled everybody and said, you know, how did you feel about your initial training? And those numbers were incredibly low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it was 7% said it was good. It was like wow. 72% said it was bad. So it was a really distinct difference between the good and the bad. Uh, and then their ongoing training, they were a little bit more optimistic about, but it was still, they felt lacking. So they just weren't getting enough. And I was the first educator they had ever hired. So before it had just fallen to the supervisor or manager to like figure out how to work that into their day, which we know it gets busy, just can't do it. So that's what the educators really for. Um, And yeah, that was, I was shocked. I thought it would be closer to like 50, 50 kind of a thing. Yeah. It was very skewed in the negative direction. Wow. Well, lots of room for improvement. Definitely. definitely. (laughs) So in your opinion, what is the root problem when it comes to training? I think it's that we we teach them the skills and then we just say you're on your own now. And that's uh, when I kind of looked at it, I was looking back at my past and then uh, my son recently started working at a sandwich shop. And basically he said, you know, uh, when he was at the sandwich shop, he was standing next to somebody and they kind of showed him how to do a task. And then he did the task himself and then they walked away and they were like, okay, you know how to do that now. And I realized that's very similar to what we do in sterile processing. They shadow somebody, they watch them do it. Then they do it themselves. And then they're like, oh, you're signed off. You know how to do that thing. But that's not, I don't know that we should be modeling the fast food industry as far as quality and accuracy. Sometimes that's not the ideal location for that. So 
that was kind of a, um, you know, when it comes to training, I really started to look at that, what we're doing, and then maybe think maybe what we're doing and that, that connections we're making for them to form good habits is just off. So in your presentation, I really like the habit loop that you explained. Can you kind of explain that habit loop for our listeners? Sure. Um, so the habit loop, essentially, when you learn a new task, your brain wants to turn it into an automatic behavior, essentially. Um, you know, I, I give the example in the presentation that when you're on your drive home and you go through that route to your house from work to home, from work to home every single day, your brain become, it becomes a habit in your brain. You don't think about it. Sometimes you pull into the driveway and you have no knowledge of what happened <laughs> in the last 10 minutes. So like, you know, did I run red lights? Did I go, you know, did yeah. I go and it was green? Yeah. I have no idea. I just pulled into my driveway at home. So it's an automatic behavior that your, and your brain wants to do those things. So in SPD, it's similar. When we're in Deacon Tam, a lot of us just, it's brain shuts off and we go into automatic mode and then eight hours later, our shift's done. So it's a very similar thing, that habit loop that forms. And I've noticed that some technicians, when they're in that habit loop, have good habits and other ones have not so good habits. Yeah. So that's a really important part is to impart those good habits early so that they know the right way to do things. So let's talk about one of the other identified issues in sterile processing how can the human brain possibly remember all the information required to really be a good quality technician? And it's, you know, the complexity of our job has increased so much over the last 50 years with, mm -hmm. you know, laparoscopics, minimally invasive surgeries, uh, camera scopes, flexible scopes, power equipment, all of these things that make it incredibly complex. As we've gotten more complex instrumentation and the instructions for use have gotten more complex, there's a lot more attention from surveyors. They want us to make sure we're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So the complexity of the job and the seriousness of how people take it is just increased exponentially. And with the complexity, it's so, it's just not an easy job anymore. It's very, very difficult and hard to remember all of these things. Hundreds of thousands of instruments, IFUs, cleaning, decontamination, disinfection, take apart, lubrication, all these different parts of the IFUs. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just important that we do our best to remember those things. There's so much to remember. It really becomes difficult. So I always tell my technicians, like I teach the CRCST class too, okay. um, uh, and, and my uh, city, but, um, I always tell them like the complexity of the job, this is no joke. Like you have to take it seriously and then you have to be, you have to know that you're going to have some time before you're really a good SPD technician, because you really have to learn Yes, the skills, but then how do you do all of these different things? Hey folks, let's pause our conversation for just a second. Are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, you're in the right place because you can get a CE just for listening to this podcast. To do that, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code HABITLOOP. The code for this specific episode is Habit Loop. Now, let's get back to our conversation. So, if we realize that we have a training gap, what can folks do to really kind of close that gap? You know, I, I've been talking to a lot of people at this conference about it, and uh, it's a very similar thing I hear from a lot of people, that they're having trouble getting technicians to do the right thing or take the job seriously. I always feel like, we're not sociopaths. <laughs> you know, we care about other people. Um, it's really about getting this, the attention back to the patient and then having them understand that everything they do impacts that patient. So I talked about in the um, presentation how 
if you, you know, have them go view a surgery and, and the experience that I had where I actually viewed a surgery and my boss brought in my tray uh-huh. to use on the patient, um, which scared the bejesus out yeah. of me. But, um, <laughs> it was a, it was kind of a humbling experience to be like, oh, this, what I do is like going to impact this person's life, not just a patient that's like a theoretical person out there. It's this kid. And I was at children's hospital. So it was a child that was on the table yeah. and it really impacted how I did everything going forward because I remember that before I closed a set, I would always be like, there's a person on the other end of this. Did I do everything right? And so that was always something I tried to do. Just make sure everything was a hundred percent before I closed that set. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that that would scare me too. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so can you give us some actionable steps that can really help us train others? Yeah. Um, the first thing that I like to do is have a set of work instructions. It's a really important part of, standardizing what everybody does in the impor- in the department you know they uh we give them the like the training usually it's just that stand but next to me and show me how to do something mm-hmm. but work instructions would actually be like the step-by-step of how we do things here and then everybody should be doing those step-by-step instructions the same so starting with work instructions um competencies are important but they're <laughs> you can't just put them off a lot of people and even at the hospital i because i i created this presentation for the conference because I had actually not done a great job as an educator. And there were a lot of my trainees that were just getting at the end of their 90 days, somebody was signing them off on every single competency really quickly just to get it done. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's not the purpose of the competency. We really want to know that you know the skills. Um, So then the other thing we have is we have schedules where we uh, have week one, you have to do this competency and this competency. And you kind of take it slow. You make sure that they're retaining that information week by week. And then verifying at the end. So I give them a little quiz. And a quiz isn't the skills. The, the questions are more why. You know, why do we brush underneath the waterline? I really want them to understand why they would do something like that. Instead of just, do you brush under the waterline, yes or no? It's a lot easier to answer that question. Yeah. But the why is important. And the, the fact that they know that, hopefully they will retain it a little better. So last question. Do you have any other advice or words of wisdom that can really help folks that are listening today? Yeah, I think if you are a technician, um, just do your best to remember the why behind everything that you do. And for educators, managers, leaders who are trying to impart on others how you know you should be taking this job seriously, it's really about connecting that human connection um, and getting them to understand that there's a pe- person on the other end. And if they can emotionally connect to that person, everything they do kind of takes on a new importance. When they learn a new task, it's like, oh, this is important because... Not just, oh, I know how to do this now. Because the skill can go away easily. Like in my talk, I talk about interference theory, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, if you have this repeated behavior, like what did you have for dinner two Wednesdays ago? A lot of people can't answer that yeah. because it's so many dinners have happened since then. It's the same thing in sterile processing. There's so many things that happen um, in the course of our day that we just start forgetting those things that we originally learned. But if we connect it to an emotion or if we connect it to a person, it becomes a lot more important and much more likely will retain it. So I think that's something to take away is try to get people to understand how important it is by connecting to that human part. Well, Adam, thank you for joining us on the podcast and sharing a little bit about training with us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, here we are again, folks, and that music means only one thing, and that is we are out of time for today. Big thank you to Adam for sharing with us today. 
HSPA episode 89 is done. It's in the books. But remember, each episode's on demand. So when you're ready for us, you can always go back and listen. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.